Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We are coming to a very important passage of Scripture today. Acts chapter 2 records how the birth of the church and the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurred. It's a very foundational passage of Scripture. And in it, we see God's actions in the Spirit coming, and we see people's reactions to the Spirit coming. And we're going to look at one of those things today, okay? We're going to look at the first four verses today, and then next week we will look at verses 5 through 13. And before we read the Word, let me say a few things about what I'm going to be preaching today. Acts 2 is absolutely foundational to the church. It is it is bedrock. It's about the day of Pentecost when, when a new phase of God's redemptive history was ushered in. And the Spirit is now going to indwell believers permanently and fill them with ongoing power for service. That's the point. And this is what God does in the life of every believer. If you're a believer today and you say, I don't know how this works out, it's this. If you're a Christian, God indwells you permanently for salvation. And he fills you with ongoing power to serve his purposes. You can be confident in that. It's what the word teaches. And I'm going to tell you today what the word actually teaches, what I believe this passage is teaching about being baptized by and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a very controversial topic. It's a lot of confusion surrounding it, and a lot of groups with a lot of ideas have tried to use Acts chapter 2 to prove their points. Everybody starts here. You have to. But there is a lot of error, a lot of misconception, a lot of scripture twisting, a lot of confusion and controversy because of preconceptions and and misconceptions and false perceptions really sometimes even ignorance of what the word says or refusal to believe what the word says and this is very important to us we need to understand and trust the spirit to reveal the truth to us i have been praying this week i pray this every week but i've been praying especially this week that the holy spirit would give me a clear understanding that I would accurately preach this passage. And I'm just going to say, I could call this sermon, I'm probably going to rile you up. Better, I'm, I'll call it this, I want to lay it out for you. I want to I tell you what it means to be baptized and filled with the Spirit of God. A lot of Christians... A lot of sincere and intelligent Christians think of the baptism and filling of the Spirit in a different way, a very different way than I will tell you what it is this morning. And I do not want to cause division amongst true believers, but I do want to call for and promote an accurate handling of the Word of God that we would rightly divide the Word and, and, and we acknowledge God is not the author of confusion or controversy. Man is. And why doesn't everyone agree on this? That's a great question, isn't it? If you know me, you know me well enough to know that my answer has three letters. O-G-K. <laughs> Only God knows. There's a lot of things in the Bible that people don't always agree on. 
But it doesn't mean, well, whatever you think is okay. When God spoke his word, he meant one thing, and it's our task to find out as as close as we can what that thing is that he meant. That's what I want to do today. I want to tell you what the passage says, not what I think it says or what I want it to say. We're going to trust the Holy Spirit who gave the word to, to open up our hearts to this message and then to apply it to our lives as well. So if you're able, please stand with me to, for, to read God's word. I'm going to read all 13 chap, uh, verses in, in, at the beginning of this chapter. Again, we're only going to look at the first four verses today. You're going to need to come back next week and, and hear the rest. Okay? So if you're from out of town, maybe you can change your flight. But the easiest thing would be just to catch it online next week by about 12.30 in the afternoon. It's already up. Okay, save you some money there. All right, chapter 2 and verse 1. This is God's word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Lord God, we just pray that you have your way in our hearts now. We pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word, and that we would we would we would get what you want us to have today pray in Christ's name. Amen. So this is the fifth sermon in the book of Acts so far, and we're seeing in the book of Acts that that it is a life-altering journey through the history book of the New Testament. It is both foundational and transitional. It's the link between the Gospels and the Epistles. It is also a very clear call to be Christ's spirit-empowered witnesses, living for his glorious gospel purposes in every generation until Christ comes again. So that hits us right where we live. Now in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we see God's actions in the spirit coming. In verses 5 through 13, we see people's reactions to the spirit coming. We'll look at verses 1 through 4 today. But this is on the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, two big promises were fulfilled at the same time. 
The church is born and the spirit is given. God is baptizing the elect for salvation and filling them for service. So let's look at God's actions. And really, God's actions demand our active participation. That we would agree, that we would cooperate, that we would be engaged as God gives us strength. But let's look at God's actions in the Spirit's coming, what He initiated, what He accomplished by His own sovereign will and power. Verse 1 tells us that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Pentecost means 50th, and we'll celebrate on the 50th day after Passover. Pentecost is another name for the Feast of Weeks, we see in Exodus 14, and the Feast of Harvest in Exodus 23. It's significant for us to also know that the great national feasts of Israel have gospel significance. Take the Passover. It involved killing the Passover lamb. Ultimately, that is fulfilled in the death of Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As 1 Corinthians 5 tells us, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. That is good news for believers. Fifty days later, the Feast of Harvest, the first fruits, and the idea is it's signifying that the first fruits have arrived and they're promising a greater harvest, a full harvest in the future. Well, the coming of the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost. It's the guarantee of our final inheritance. It is the pledge of our living hope in Christ. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together. What were they doing? We saw that in chapter 1. We saw that very clearly what they were doing. They were obeying Jesus. They didn't leave Jerusalem. And they were praying. They were searching the scriptures. They were fellowshipping. They were seeking God's will. This is what they were doing. They were unified. They were of one accord, having deep fellowship. And they're seeking God, and they're, they're finding in God's word what is going on. And God is about to change everything on them. God is about to change everything, the, the life as they knew it. And they knew they were waiting for the Holy Spirit, but they didn't know what it was going to look like. They didn't know the exact timing. Maybe they were putting two and two together. Hey, it's the Feast of Pentecost. Maybe it's Pentecost. Now, maybe. But they were all together. They're waiting. We see that in chapter 1. And really, chapter 1 was all about preparing and waiting, God getting them ready. Well, chapter 2 is all about receiving and being blessed by what God is giving as the fulfillment of his promise it's the beginning of the church it's being filled it's empowered really acts chapter 1 verse 8 is being fulfilled in acts chapter 2 it is a big event in redemptive history take the old testament you got the prophets telling us that the messiah would come and promised messiah and then in the new testament the promised messiah arrives god incarnate uh, jesus christ we see his death his burial we see his resurrection and his ascension 40 days later and now the spirit is about to take up residence in his people 50 days after the resurrection Jesus had said in John chapter 7 verse 37 he said if anyone is thirsty he stands up at the end of the feast he says if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink he says whoever believes in me as the scripture says out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You might be familiar with those words. And it said that Jesus said this about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. 
For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. See, glorified Jesus sends the Spirit, the promised Spirit. Acts 2 is promise kept. The baptism of the Spirit, which was promised in Acts 1-5, Jesus says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. They knew it was coming soon. They didn't know what it was going to look like, what it was going to sound like, what it would be like. Ten days after the ascension. So they're all together on the day of Pentecost. And you come to verse 2, one of my favorite words in the book of Acts, suddenly. God is doing something that wasn't asked for, that wasn't sought, that wasn't chased after. He did something all on his own initiative. He did it suddenly. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And people say, well, yeah, the, the big old wind blew in the house on Pentecost. Well, it says here that it was like a mighty rushing wind. It was a sound. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It was literally a noise. Like one writer says, it's an echo that sound like a mighty wind born vibrantly. It was a huge wind. If you're from the Midwest or, or the South or the East Coast, you may have experienced a tornado or a hurricane. You know, we, we only know about the earthquakes out here in California, right? But people say that when they go through a tornado, it sounds like a locomotive is going through the house. Anybody been through that? I see some people nodding. I see a hand right over here. Well, this is a violent, this is a noise like a violent rushing wind but notice, not an actual wind, like a wind. A hurricane-like sound. Like when you experience a tornado. Like when you think a locomotive is coming through your house. Literally, it's a blast. The word used here is a blast, an explosion. A mysterious explosion. A blast from heaven. And everyone hears it. In fact, we read that the crowds gathered at the noise either of this phenomena or of the languages that were being spoken. And the house was filled, it was engulfed, it was immersed, literally baptized, soaked in the presence of God. I told you I could call this, I'm going to rile you up. So let me start. I like to instigate little rilings. This was not a feeling they had. This was not an emotion that they were having. A lot of people say, oh, I, I felt the Spirit. I'm like, you know, the physical can't feel the Spirit. We feel something, and we think. I know we have a lot of emotions, but this was not an emotion. This was not a feeling. This was an audible noise. Audible noise. We're going to see the baptism of the Spirit. Verse 3, it says, divided tongues as of fire. Again, not real fire, just like it wasn't real wind. It was like fire. I mean, people draw pictures of this, right? And you've got like barbecuing tongues on top of people's heads. Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Do you ever have someone like sit on you and you're like, get up, I can't get up. I'm, you're pinning me down. Well, it was literally sitting on them. That's the word. It sat on them, rested on them, each one of them. So, divided tongues, and it's, it's unfortunate that we keep on translating this word tongues because it really means languages. It would, it would, 
it would uh, ease so much confusion if we just said divided languages as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. But they sat on them, each one, and the, the crucial thing here is that each one of them that was present, the 120-some people, each received the Spirit without conditions. There was no condition to the Spirit coming upon them. It matches right up with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. We are all baptized into one body by the same Spirit. It's not something you chase or qualify for. It's part of salvation. It's regeneration. It's where you share the common life of the indwelling Spirit. And it happens suddenly. This was the this was the inauguration of the church. They didn't initiate it. It came from God. They didn't request it, but they didn't refuse it either. It wasn't based on their work. It wasn't based on their desire. God did it. They were surprised by God's sovereign clock. God did it. It was on his time schedule. They didn't have to seek it. They received it. It's like in Ephesians 1.13 where it says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Divine act of God. The Acts 2 baptism isn't asked for. It's gifted. It's a sovereign act of God that God initiated. It surprised them. They received it. You talk about being surprised. You ever get startled? I'm easily startled. If someone in my family walks up behind me, I'm like, what were you doing? You're trying to scare me. Or people talk about being surprised by joy, being surprised by grace. How about being surprised by the power of God? This is what's going on. Surprised by the power of God. It's a visible demonstration of the manifestation of the Spirit here in Acts 2. And, it's, and if you're a Christian today, it's why you do what Christians do. It's why you're able to do what Christians are called to do. Because you've been bought with a price. You belong to the Lord Jesus. He gave you life. And now the Spirit is indwelling you. From the moment of conversion. From the moment of of surrender two big promises I mentioned two big promises being fulfilled right here Matthew 16 18 Jesus said I will build my church John 14 16 he says the father will send another helper so I will build my church death and hell can't stop it and I will send the Holy Spirit the baptism of the spirit what happens at the baptism of the spirit it is a spiritual event that places believers into the body of Christ, the church. Spirit immerses you into the church in union with Christ. So what we're seeing here is the birth of the church through Jesus immersing. Jesus is the one that's baptizing them in the Spirit. He is immersing, engulfing people in the Holy Spirit. He is placing the Spirit in believers, placing them into the common life, a community of God through the Spirit. This is what is happening. They are one in Christ. You know, people pray, oh, we should be unified with other believers, and, but we aren't usually, and we got to really work at it. And, and, you know, practically, absolutely, but positionally in Christ, we are one in Christ. Jesus prayed for that in, Acts 7, in, in John 17. So let me rile you up a bit more. Any teaching, by the way, this, this, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is given by God and uh, the church is given birth by the baptism of the Holy Spirit and individual believers are baptized in the Spirit at the point of conversion so any teaching that you have received that tells you that you have to do something to be baptized in the Spirit 
is not rooted in the word of God and what happened on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, even though that's where everyone goes as a starting point about being baptized in the Spirit. And I got to name names. The charismatic churches, Pentecostal churches, have propagated many false claims, harmed a lot of people. It started about the 1880s in Topeka, Kansas. They claimed that the baptism of the Spirit was actually the ability to speak real languages you hadn't learned, which actually is what was going on here. But they said it's a repeatable thing. It's a, it's a normative thing. It's prescriptive rather than what book, the book of Acts is, descriptive primarily. And so what do they do? They say, well, you, you know, if you're called to, to serve the Lord, you're a believer, then you will be able to speak in languages you've never learned and people are going to be able to understand. So what they do? They sent people to foreign fields and nothing happened. You know, if they wanted to stay, they had to learn the language. And so they had to shift their views. And they said, no, 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 it's not a language that you haven't learned that people understand. It's ecstatic speech. It's babbling into the air. It's non-language. And there became many bizarre claims, and they taught that it was to be repeated and sought after. They claimed, they claimed that speaking in tongues was a sign, the sign of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You may have been taught that. It's not from the Bible. If you're a believer, you have literally been immersed and placed in union with, baptized by the Holy Spirit. And you won't lose it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a permanent state. Now verse 4, you see the filling of the Spirit. We're going to differentiate between these two. Let's look at verse 4. It says they were all filled with the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Filling is ongoing. Ephesians 5.18, we are even commanded, be filled with the Spirit. Be, be being kept filled with the Spirit. I remember when I got into seminary my first semester 1985 and dr ross cup one of my professors says now open your bibles up to ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 and he says we're going to do what a lot of a lot of believers don't do when they study the bible we're going to look at it and read it and make observations i tell people this is like the the neglected first step of bible study what does it actually say we like to run to the word and say we already know what it says but this is actually make observations so he says make as many observations as you can on ephesians 5 18 which says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. I'm like, whew, this is going to be a tough one. We came up with like 40-something observations on that text. What it, what's actually saying? The idea there is let the Spirit of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, dominate your life and control your life. And, and it's really not like filling up a glass. A lot of people say, oh, I feel empty. I need the Spirit to fill me. Well, you've already been baptized. You're already filled with the Spirit. But you need fresh fillings of the Spirit. It's more like if you had a sailboat and the wind gets caught up in the sails and carries it along. That's more of the idea. At the point of salvation, every believer in Jesus is baptized or immersed, put into Christ, and then filled, empowered to live as a believer. You've heard me say it a lot, but we leak. And what happens is that the filling needs to be maintained. We need to yield on an ongoing basis to 
the Spirit's power and control so that we don't walk in the flesh, but in the Spirit. We don't live according to the flesh and, and engage in outright sin, but we, we do what pleases God. I think that's why some people who claim to be believers never seem to grow. They're walking in the flesh all the time. They don't realize, I think automatically God's just going to kind of lift me up and start doing things through me. If you're filled with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will come out in your life from Ephesians 5, the love and joy, peace, patience, and all the rest. The idea is if you're a believer, you need to make the moment-by-moment choice to walk in the Spirit, live by the Spirit, and obey God, and you will enjoy the life and peace that God gives believers. Or you can walk in the flesh, walk in sin, and reap the misery that sin brings about. But the baptism happens once, it's permanent, the filling is ongoing. You see this in the book of Acts. In chapter 4, verse 8, Peter, it says Peter was filled with the Spirit when he spoke. Chapter 4, verse 31, they prayed and the place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Chapter 6, they're choosing servants in the church, the first deacons, and they choose people who were full of faith and the Spirit. Because it's people that amongst them live consistent lives and they said, yeah, we see that. That's what God wants for, for you from you if you're a believer cooperative consistency of life such that people would see a yielded heart and life that allows the Spirit of God to work and doesn't hinder the flow. The baptism of the Holy Spirit initiates the indwelling of the Spirit for all believers, but indwelling is not the same thing as being filled. The filling of the Spirit uh, happens when we walk in obedience to God and we don't quench the Spirit, and we don't grieve the Spirit by ignoring His promptings or living with unconfessed sin. It's not automatic. It requires a desire on our part to obediently follow Christ. What were the apostles doing before the day of Pentecost? Think back to chapter 1. What were they doing? They were obeying Jesus. They were praying. They were searching the Scriptures. They were fellowshipping. They were seeking God's sovereign will. And then God comes upon them in power in His perfect timing. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit as believers. It's not automatic, but it it requires a desire on our part to obediently follow Christ. Here's an example that we Californians can, can relate to. You know that brown is the new green in California, right? Right? You know this. And if you're just letting your, your yard go, you know, and you haven't had time to do all the yard work, just say, I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. Right? Brown is the new green. Don't water it, just let it go. What's going to happen to your grass when you don't water it? Because you only get to water two days a week. And, and don't water it and let it go. What's going to happen? It's going to look pretty brown, isn't it? It's going to look pretty brown, and it's, gonna, it's probably going to die. Here's the deal as a believer. Don't do anything, you won't grow. You get sluggish and lazy, and you got to put yourself in the way of what God has provided for his people. Let me tell you how you can be filled with the Spirit. You want to be filled with the Spirit on on an ongoing basis in your life? Let me tell you. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. That's where you find out what it means to be filled with the Spirit on an ongoing basis in your life as a believer. If you're not a believer, by the way, today, and I'm talking about being a believer, you're like, hey, hey, 
You know, I'm not a believer. I'm like, well, you came here and you came to a church and you gotta probably figure there's gonna be a lot of believers here. I love you if you're not a believer. I, we'll talk later, okay? But right now, I wanna tell what a believer does, uh, how they get filled with the Spirit on an ongoing basis, okay? And if you become a believer today, this will be true about you, all right? If you believe in the Lord Jesus, you believe in his finished work on the cross, you believe he died for your sins, and you're just going, I've lost my way in life, I have messed everything up, and you wanna surrender to Christ today, then this can be true of you too. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now Colossians 3 has already said that if you've been raised up with Christ, verse 1, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You've been baptized into the body of Christ. And it says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, you'll appear with him in glory. And put to death all the deeds of the flesh, right? And put on, as God's beloved children, all the good things that God has given you to put on. It's like you had these filthy rags that were smelly and, and gross and rattered, ra- uh, uh, tattered and rotting, and, and God has given you these beautiful new clothes. Well, put those on. Quit wearing the old stuff. My boy, man, he wears these shoes that you're like... You, you got to do a GoFundMe to buy him some new shoes because they're like some old tatter. He likes wearing the old shoes. He got new shoes. Just hasn't been wearing them, I guess. But then verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with, with all uh, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to your hearts in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him you want to be filled with the spirit on an ongoing basis then you need to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly that you would be dominated by the word of God that you would yield your life to the will of God that it would affect you to the point that you are taking in the word of God if you're like well I don't know I feel so empty I don't have a lot of people that I know that are in the word of God consistently letting it dwell in them richly, not just hearing it and then walking away, but seeking to be doers of the word. I don't have many people that I know like that that say, I feel so empty. Because the word of God, used by the spirit of God, changes your heart, changes your attitudes, gives you new motivations. And yes, it is as simple as that. Put your way, put yourself in the way that God has given for believers to grow. Peter said it, right? Long for the pure milk of the words, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. This whole process of, of being conformed to the image of Christ. If you're a believer, the Spirit baptized you into Jesus Christ upon conversion into the church, a one-time event, and you are positionally in Christ in the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. But until your glorified state... You can let the Holy Spirit fill you or you can quench and grieve the Spirit within you during this time that we call you know, sanctification, which is a lifelong work of God and man where we must, be, we must be engaged in that process. Let's talk about the tongues thing. A lot of people have gotten confused about the whole tongues thing, the phenomena. And the word tongues keeps getting used even though the more accurate way is to translate it languages. Luke chose the word that means dialect. A manner of speech indicates the speaking of tongues was other languages, real languages. 
And um, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues, sending them for languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they could not speak in foreign languages before, these languages. And then God gave them this ability. We're going to see that next week. But what happened as a result was they're speaking the gospel in languages they've never spoken or learned before, and people knew the words that they were saying. What happened is um, groups redefined that, and they said, no, 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 it's the, it's the idea of ecstatic speech, just babbling in the air. But one thing I want to say about that, and I don't want to like, put down anyone's experience, okay, at all. I'm not going to go up to you and go, ooh, what you, you know, experienced was false or whatever. I just want to make observations on the word. You figure that out in your own heart. But let me just say that never in, in the, 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 the history of the church was ecstatic speech a part of sound doctrine. In the 1900s, early 1900s, and when the growth of the Pentecostal movement, the charismatic movement, was really booming, they said this is a repeatable event. You will speak in a non-language. And all I can tell you is it isn't here in the Bible. You can't find it because it's not there. Uh, the speaking of no, in known languages that were never learned was a phenomena that had its moment. So you can't go away today and say, I'm going to China tomorrow, and I'm going to fly over there, and I'm going to start speaking Chinese as soon as I hit the ground, and people are going to come to faith in Christ because I'm going to share the gospel in Chinese. I've never learned it or anything. It's not going to happen. Okay? Go talk to your neighbors about Jesus in your own language. That would be great, right? Okay, so you look at some 30 years after Christ's birth, you got this, this gift that was being experienced, and... After about 90 AD, you never hear about it again. Interesting, in, in 1 Corinthians, about, written about 55 AD, uh, it's being talked about because it was corrupted by the Corinthians. They needed to be regulated. It was being used in a proud way. It was f- being flaunted. Uh, they, were, they were counterfeiting it. There were people standing up saying, I'm talking for Jesus, and they were literally cursing Christ. So in, in the early years, this gift was still in operation. And then in, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, that they will cease. Tongues will cease. These languages will cease. But you don't see tongues as a part of anything after 1 Corinthians. They completely disappear in Scripture. I'm just making this observation because I think you need to understand what does the Bible say and not be confused. In Acts 2, real languages on the day of Pentecost were accompanied them being filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. There are plenty of places in the Bible, excuse me, in, in the Gospels and Acts that, that are, are um, referring to something like this. And when you see them in their context, they're, they're easy to understand. A lot of people have been taught there's two blessings you need to have, the coming to faith in Christ and then getting baptized in the Spirit. You have a second blessing. Um, John 20 is a place a lot of people go. Go with me there. Just go a few pages back in your Bible to the left or a couple swipes of your finger on your electronic device. But John chapter 20, this is the day that Jesus rises from the dead. Okay? This is resurrection day. On the evening of that day, verse 19, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. By the way, I love the rustling sound of Bible paper or the swiping sound of... So on the evening of the first day of the week, they were there, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. 
hands in his side, excuse me. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So there's a problem posed by John 20. Because in Acts, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, whereas in John 20, the Holy Spirit appears to come on the day of the resurrection. So are John and Luke, you know, in conflict here? They're not, but we'll make some observations to resolve the the seeming problem. These are not contradictory accounts of the same event. In John, you have this secret, restricted gathering of the 11 at evening of the disciples only, and Jesus is with them, on the day of Pentecost, you have a public gathering in the middle of the morning, 9 a.m. to be exact, with the entire Jerusalem congregation of 120-so people present, and Jesus is not physically present. So John chapter 20 doesn't describe their regeneration or their new birth. Jesus has already said to them, you're clean. Your name's written in, in, down in heaven, Luke 10, 20. Peter had openly testified that Jesus was the Christ, John 17, he already, Jesus refers to them as belonging to the Father. But the coming of the Spirit is dependent on the going of the Son. So the sending of the Spirit is contingent on the ascension of the Son, and Jesus has not yet ascended here. But his main concern after the resurrection is the gift of the Holy Spirit for the church to perpetuate the mission that he started. But the disciples didn't receive the Holy Spirit until the day of Pentecost, 40 days or so later, which um, this was uh, 50 days later excuse me this was because Jesus here is promising that it's going to happen he's saying this is going to happen and it did on the day of Pentecost now you could say well wait a minute their experience was there was kind of like two parts they already knew Jesus then they got baptized you don't want to argue for that because remember Acts is descriptive not prescriptive Uh, it's unwise to argue that their experience is like the pattern that we should follow because their, their experience could be nothing but what it was. That's what, they were getting this in real time. It was impossible for them to be baptized by the Spirit when they believed because they believed long before Spirit baptism was available. And so the results of Pentecost, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit, extends to the whole church. But that day, the day of Pentecost, was very, very re- really um, a one-off, unique, unrepeatable occurrence okay let's we'll keep moving there's a couple other places you might say well hold on I see something here Acts chapter 8 okay Acts chapter 8 the Samaritans had received the word of God but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit they become believers but they don't have the Holy Spirit why first of all uh, those these verses can't be used to support the teachings that if you're a Christian you receive the Holy Spirit at some point after becoming a Christian Okay? Remember the book of Acts is a transitional period being recorded where the verification from the apostles is necessary before a new group of people come into the church. Think about this. The friction between Jews and Samaritans was absolutely unreal. What would have happened if a Samaritan church crops up over here and they show up in Jerusalem and say, hey, we're believers too. We have the Holy Spirit too. That's why, that's why Peter and John were sent that they could vouch for them. This was to maintain the unity of the church. They were to be able to say, hey, look, Samaritan believers needed to be under the authority of the apostles, and they also got the Holy Spirit. 
Similar kinds of transitional events are happening in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, similar kind of thing happened. Acts chapter 15, similar thing happened. Acts chapter 19, they come across a group of people who only knew of John's baptism. They weren't saved at that point. They explained the gospel to them, they became a believer, and they had the Holy Spirit. And uh, at that point, they were speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were 12 of them at that point. So they were literally, again, speaking the word so that people could hear. But remember, descriptive versus prescriptive for the book of Acts. Why did God give this gift? Why would he do it? Why would he have them speak in these unknown languages that people could understand and hear? We're going to see next week. It's a very international crowd that was there. Why? It was for unbelievers, not believers. It was to give credence to the gospel message and to start the church. And it wasn't prescriptive in the sense that this is how it's going to happen in your life. This is what God did initially for this first group of apostles who were believers before then. Then you see the group of 120 getting baptized in the Spirit, becoming a new community, the church, the body of Christ. I think if you get that straight, that the fact that much of the confusion surrounding the baptism filling of the Spirit has to do when people take the book of Acts wrongly as normative Christian experience for every believer that's prescribed rather than a historical descriptive narrative and you get that straight, you handle the book of Acts straight and I think you will come to a more biblically accurate understanding of baptism of the Spirit and filling of the Spirit baptism, will be really clear describes your experience at the point of conversion you're immersed and submerged in him and you will enjoy his presence forever you're baptized at that moment of new birth filling is the spirit empowering and enabling you for fruitful service and witness on an ongoing basis in your life as I start to bring the plane down for a landing let me just say a couple things that pretty much just blow me away when I think about wow, look what was going on here. I'm really struck by the suddenness of what God did and how he fully initiated it and how man didn't say, this is what we want. God, please give it to us. This was something that God gave his his people. But I also think that sometimes Christians get bogged down and they think I'm not growing because they really do think that God is gonna automatically move them to do something they're not wanting to do or initiating on their own. Be that, read the Bible, pray, or, or be doing that with your family or sharing your faith with unbelievers. You've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. Christ is your life, but it's a falsehood to think that God is just gonna airlift you into some fruitfulness if you're not wanting it and if you are not, as Paul put it, laboring and striving for the gospel. You know, Paul says, I worked harder than all of them he was actually working really hard and being misunderstood for it oh you're just doing that in the flesh no he was doing it by the spirit but he was willing to to spend and be spent for the souls of others so the work of of god in your life the filling of the spirit the enabling the power to do what you're called to do comes from god not you just like it did to the apostles in acts 2 but it's based on what they were doing. They were obeying. They were praying. They were searching the scriptures. They were seeking God's will. 
You don't want to be actively sinning and resisting the Spirit of God and then saying, why isn't God growing me? Why isn't God filling me? It was very obvious why. It's a sudden event. God does it, but he uses our cooperation. I hope that we haven't ceased to be surprised by God's sudden working. I hope that when you pray and God actually does something, you don't go, wow, that's, that's crazy. I hope you're seeing God do amazing things in your own heart, in your own life. And it doesn't have to be the dramatic. Everything about what you're doing right now is miraculous. You are breathing. You got a Bible in your hand, in your language. And if you're a believer, as you're hearing the word, you're saying, amen, amen. I agree. Lord God, I, um, I thank you that being filled with the Spirit is not just for preaching the gospel to people we've never met, but it's for living the gospel in everyday life, in our homes, in the community of faith, in the community we live in. Lord, we want to walk by your Spirit and not carry out the desires of the flesh. We want to yield to your Spirit and do what you desire. Thank you, Lord, that you thrill our souls with the gospel truth, that you have done it all, and that you use our glad cooperation. Lord, you are the knower of hearts. You are the opener of hearts. You're the filler of hearts, and you change us and change others. Lord, encourage our hearts today that you are at work in us to will and do your good pleasure. And we acknowledge that your work in and through us doesn't depend on us, but it does require our active and enthusiastic participation. So Lord, with, with, every, with every ounce of, of strength in us, we want to, to use what we have to serve you and your purposes. We pray in Christ's name, amen.